Ira Jersey, take it away. Hello and welcome to League One Fun. Please subscribe, rate, and review us on your favorite podcast app. We're sponsored by Roughneck Scarves and Icarus FC. I'm Ira Jersey, and that voice you heard to start us off was Jason. Jason, welcome back. You're living the life of luxury in uh, in paradise, but League One continues on. Yeah, still no shirt, uh, still no <laughs> solidified second place. <laughs> yeah, so you know, obviously, we're going to talk about what happened with Richmond and where everyone is in the standings. But, but maybe first, uh, Jason, since you weren't able to be on last week, um, you know, we talked with Phil Grooms and with Elliot Barr about some of the uh, changes, like OCB leaving uh, the uh, the league next year. Um, any thoughts uh, from yourself about OCB leaving? I mean, I, I don't think anyone is is super heartbroken about it, right? I think if if anything, it may be only OCB fans just because they would want their academy players and they would want some of their B team players to have better competition and you know be able to play these veterans, be able to play you know some of these players who are good enough for USL Championship and MLS right now. But if you're not willing to, to have the resources to you know have a full staff, have a full branding, uh, you know play your players like Austin Amar consistently. And, you know, that's the kind of decisions they want to make. I'm sure it saves them money. It saves them a lot of time and resources. And so, you know, it is what it is. I think the only thing that people might be sad seeing is the three easy points uh, that they were getting. (laughs) But outside of that, no, I don't think anyone's really heartbroken about not having to go to COVID world in Orlando anymore. But uh, it, it does leave. I do feel bad for the Tablantes and the Austin Amars because they don't need to be playing, you know, a bunch of academy kids, right? They have shown that they're they're competitive and good enough to be playing against some USL championship qual- uh, caliber quality players. And so those are the guys I think that are going to get hurt the most from it. And uh, it's going to be weird to see, you know, someone like a Daryl DK or, you know, someone may, that might be recovering from injury uh, playing, you know, I don't even know the regula- rules and regulations if they're even allowed to play for that OC for that second team now in the MLS reserve league, are they? Yeah, I, I don't know. I guess it depends on their contracts. Like those who are on MLS contracts, the answer is yes. Um, right. If they're on USL contracts and presumably they're going to be either released or signed by the MLS team. And of course the, yeah, you know, one of the issues with not having a two team is that you, you, you are, have a very limited roster size because you're only allowed to have 30 players on your major league soccer roster. So the problem is, is that if you have a few, three, four, five more players that you really want to help develop and want on the MLS team, you can't do that without like a USL affiliate. And that's how some teams like North Texas in our league or the Red Bulls or the Real Monarchs, that's how they operate, right? They they are able to bring some a couple of fringe players up and down when there's injuries and things like that by without having to, you know, have people sign an MLS contract. And I think that that's important. So over the past week, I've actually talked to a, a number of people um, and it seems like there, I can confirm what Phil said la- on last week's show that there are a lot of MLS teams that still want to play in the USL. So I think that there's a divide between those who want a reserve league that's like basically cheap to operate, and some teams want to stay in uh, USL. So we might not see the exodus that some people were fearing when they heard the news that those three teams were leaving. Uh, uh, we're going to fold their USL affiliates, right? And I think I the ones who do fold their USL affiliates, I do hope that then 
their academy becomes a priority, right? Because when you have USL affiliates, you have the ability to bring in guys. Like Atlanta did a great job this year of signing a guy pretty much to Atlanta two team and then bringing them up that way, even though it was their intention to bring them up through the first team. But then you're able to have that flexibility. You're able to then bring in guys who might've slipped through the cracks at other academies or other teams and bring them in. Whereas if you're not having a USL affiliate, you need to solely be focused on pipelining your academy to where you're getting the most productive academy players as possible. Otherwise you're going to be wasting talent and, you know, a couple of them might not, get to play professionally that probably are good enough too. So, well, when we think about teams like Fort Lauderdale and new England, like the way that they've done it, right. Bringing in some international players, signing them to USL deals, trying them out there, maybe even having them train with the first team. And then, you know, those guys, so those guys can get a trial on a very basically inexpensive contract before signing with the MLS. So, so anyway, I think that there are a lot of teams that see the advantages of having the USL affiliate. Um, And, uh, and I think teams like Fort Lauderdale, um, and, uh, you, you know, the, and the Red Bulls that play in smaller venues that don't play in the big arenas, yeah. um, I, you know, New England will probably be like that one day as well. I mean, and it's an easier sell, right? Like if you have a 17 year, 16, 17 year old player and, you know, you have the option of going to an academy team or going to a USL affiliate team. Do you want that player to play against a bunch of other teenagers that he could be doing in club soccer anyway? Or would you rather him be able to play against the Connor Tobins and these experienced players who have been playing professionally for a decade? You know, it's it's it, right. to me, it's a no brainer. You get them that experience. You get them that exposure. You get to where you can turn on ESPN plus and watch them play. But, you know, if you want to if you want to save the money and resources and, you know, then you better focus on the academy. Simple as that. So we were speaking about New England briefly. Uh, it looks like they might have some local rivals coming. So we've known about Portland, Maine, potentially having a team maybe yeah. in 2022, you know, fingers crossed. But also New if Hampshire. anybody has a team by 2022, who knows what's going on with this <laughs> well, yeah. So ho- hopefully. But um, New Hampshire in 2022 was just announced. Um, I thought that was interesting. Uh, firstly, that they announced it so early. But secondly, that – um, you know, that, that Portland didn't go first, just right. Portland's been talked about for basically a year. Um, so any, any thoughts about that? I mean, that's, that's a so nice little North. That, that, right. That's up in your area. I I've driven through New Hampshire. I don't even think I've ever stopped in New Hampshire. Is, is there a big, I guess, soccer culture and demand in those, in the Rhode Island, New Hampshire, you know, Northeast yeah, area. Absolutely. It's okay. a, I mean, in a way it's a soccer hotbed. Um, you know, there's a lot of teams, there's a couple of teams from New Hampshire that participate in from the amateur, um, the amateur bracket for the U S open cup, for example. So there are, um, there, there are, is a lot of soccer up there. Massachusetts has a ton of soccer. Right. I knew about um, Massachusetts, for, for but sure. I just and, didn't and know Southern, about New, Southern New Hampshire is basically Massachusetts. I mean, okay. uh, you know, the, I, some of the, some of the OG people there won't say, I that, was going to say, I feel like you're, you're trying to pick a fight because I feel like people from New Hampshire might not take kind to that. So uh, the, 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 there's a lot of people who actually moved from Boston I mean, to Southern it, New Hampshire because of taxes. It's just cheaper. And it's still only a little more than an hour to Boston. So there you uh, go. I, yeah. Ivor Jersey says a uh, new New Hampshire FC is the cheat team of USO. <laughs> you heard it here for the tax the, uh, evaders, the was, tax <laughs> evaders of USO. It was a joke on, uh, um, on a TV show, West Wing, a, a while ago, where New Hampshire, it, its motto is "Live free or cheap," um, instead of "Live free or die." De- Delaware is like that too, right? Uh, I think it might be. Yeah, yeah they, I think they, Delaware they is like tax that. structure. So, um, 
Okay, so we should talk a, a I know, little we bit. should talk more soccer. Yeah, I'm we should sorry. talk soccer. But I shouldn't have brought up the economy talk. around you. <laughs> let's talk Pickham because you and I were both shut out this week. Uh, we did not have the like, exact same pick. I feel like everybody was. This was a terrible week. So literally two people. So uh, only two people got points this week. Okay. And a lot of people lost points because nobody got their uh, their locks this week. So no. my, I have to say like my, my lock was looking really good until the 66th minute of the the Greenville Omaha game. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, and I thought I was the only person with that lock. So I was pretty excited. Um, but by that one, and you had chosen uh, someone that was a different lock from everyone too. So we had the opportunity to, yeah. um, you know, to do really well. So at that point I was hoping uh, if I, if on Sunday I got my lock, I would, uh, I would only, I would be right in the hunt. You'd be in first place. Kelsey would be in second and I'd be, uh, uh, and I'd be right there in third place, only two points behind, but look, doesn't look good for me. Uh, uh, I'm at 18 points. It's between you and Kelsey for the title here. Um, I guess I could squeak in if you guys make really bad picks and I make really good ones, but um, well, we'll see. We'll see what the games they give us uh, yeah, this week. It'll be that, it'll be fun. Be important. But yeah, fifteen picks uh, overall for this round between us, uh, between everybody, and only two of the fifteen were right. So yep. <laughs> yeah, we'll that's where we'll that's where we're at in life. <laughs> a lot of upsets. Yeah. So let's go to week fifteen or fourteen. I'm not even sure what week this yeah. is. But Time's this is- not. The, the penultimate week. I know. I know for sure this is the penultimate week that we'll be reviewing today. Last Wednesday, it was Fort Lauderdale versus Forward Madison. It, it ended up all tied up at two-two. I have to admit, I did not watch this game. Did see the highlights and uh, a lot of bangers and a lot of goalkeeper errors. Yeah, um, Fort Lauderdale, one of the most entertaining teams on both the. Uh, offensive excitement side and the defensive collapse side. So no matter what you get, you're going to get some form of entertainment from them because uh, in this game had both, <laughs> they were able to supply both for us. So yeah, Fort Lauderdale is a fun team. I mean, they, they really, you know, and uh, you know, New England as well, just because their offenses have been so, you know, so strong recently that, um, you know, it's, they haven't won a lot of games, either of them, you know, they're not, neither of them is in that, that hunt for second place, but uh, certainly fun to watch. And in this game, you know, Sosa again, you know, winds up getting on the score sheet. Uh, you know, we always seem to be bringing up his name, even though he yeah. doesn't really he plays more as an attacking midfielder as opposed to a kind of a guy up top and a striker. So the fact that he, you know, gets on the score sheet so many times is, uh, is, is really important. But the first goal here was really just him making a late run and got lucky. Yeah. Um, because uh, as Kona won the ball high breaks to the end line, crosses it across the six and, and the goalkeeper Brady for, uh, for Madison parries it away right into Sosa's path. And yeah. So- and I, I think it is a mixture of bad luck. You know, when you're, when you're diving like that to try to intercept the pass, you're just trying, you're hoping to punch it uh, into a safer spot. And then fortunately you just punched it right to Sosa. Um, cause I've or actually hope that, been, or hope that someone's running with Sosa. Right. Right. <laughs> right. But I, cause I've actually been, and we'll talk about it more. I've actually been really impressed with Brady. Uh, coming in as a teenager, uh, he's probably faced more one-on-ones than any goalkeeper in the past two weeks, and he's stepped up to all of them. Um, so he, I thought, you know, I thought that was unfair to him. Um, 
But that second goal is what I really want to talk about uh, for Fort Lauderdale. Because that second goal, if you watch Sosa, and we're talking about Sosa, he just demands so much attention. And so Ovale for for or for Fort Madison, he's caught watching Sosa and not really marking his man, right? So Sosa has the ball. He's got someone on him. And Ovale's looking, and he's like, ah, should I go help? And in that amount of time, Fort Lauderdale start making their run. So everyone is kind of not at a disadvantage, but now the bodies aren't one-on-one like defending like they should be. So then as the run continues, uh, then you've got Pato, who's usually a great defender. He chooses the cheat inside uh, when Ascona decides to cut in and he's thinking, okay, I'm going to cheat inside and try to block Ascona's shot. And instead, Ascona sees Reyes making a run and he's wide open on that side because Pato has come too far in as Kona gets the ball to Pat or to Reyes. And then Reyes just finishes it, you know, cause he has all the space that he needs to. And uh, you know, you got to give credit to Ascona cause Ascona definitely cut in, had the room, could have took the shot and Pato thought he was, which is why he was cheating in so much, but instead gives the assist and, you know, Three goals, three assists, and 13 chances created for Ascona. That's not bad for someone who's only played five full games this season. He's usually somebody who he, he's play, he plays in a lot of games, but he doesn't play the whole game. And so, especially when you're sharing a midfield with Blaine and Sosa, and so, you know, the, to be able to have 13 chances, three goals, and three assists, I think uh, somebody that deserves a shout for sure. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, uh, on this particular goal, I agree with you. I mean, Pato either needed to stay closer to, uh, to, to, um, to Darren Rios and or or, or basically ta- go in and tackle, yep. Yep. and he didn't do either, right? He was trying to you know cover space, and in doing so, he left a lot of space and behind him open, which is exactly where Reyes uh, was. Um, but the seventy third minute, Madison started a comeback. Uh, Paolo Junior uh, scores a, a goal again. <laughs> I mean that now that one is on the keeper, unfortunately. Yeah, 100, 100%. So Yero uh, Yero got the ball on the left side. He, he um, uh, cross the ball and just like the, or very similar to the first goal, the keeper, you know, just tries to parry it out. And well, uh, well it's funny because as a keeper, that's your, dis- like they tell you, if you're going to go and try to catch it, it's usually safer to try to punch those, right? Especially if you have to stretch out for them like that. So Brady tries to go the safer route and punches it, gets punished because he punches it directly to Sosa. And then in this one, he tries to cradle it. And then instead it just, falls right out to Paulo Jr. Uh, so both keepers, just just terrible luck. Uh, yeah, but, and, and, and Paolo, I mean, Paolo was lucky it wasn't deflected because right. he, he kind of powered through, right? And there was a, there was a defender there along with, uh, along with the keeper. So, um, so the fact that the fact that he even got through and kind of dribbled into the net was, uh, what was, but, you know, good. But on that, uh, that through ball from uh, Trimmingham was really nice to Jiro down the side. Um, you know, for, for him to be a center back and he's, he's done it. He's done it quite a bit this year and has kind of gone up and ventured into the midfield. He's a good hybrid of that kind of center back midfielder that I'm sure coaches would love, right? You would love for your center back to be able to step in and can kind of play that six if he needs to, if the team is pushing up. And so that was what really jump started that attack. And it was a really nice pass from him. Yeah. And then in the 85th minute, the equalizer from, uh, from uh, Diaz. So he just scored a header after Silva made a nice save, but it happened to go right to Diaz. Yeah. It just, uh, it was a bad luck game for keepers, except like I said, Brady playing extremely well, saved them in the literal dying seconds of the game. So, you know, I think it was the 96th minute and 32nd mark or something like that. And he had another shot that he made a great save for. And 
again, I'm very impressed by him. It's one of those things to where mentally you're like, okay, he's a, he's a kid. Like he should not be able to, you know, if you're one-on-one as a professional and you've been playing for years against this kid, you should have a couple tricks up your sleeve, but he's been stepping up. He's making himself big and he's making a, he's making the men pay for it. So question for you, Connor Tobin gets a red card in injury time. What was turbo thinking? (laughs) he's ready to, he's ready for an early vacation. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's about to get cold in Madison. You know, he wants to still be able to go out and enjoy the parks and everything before they start getting two feet of snow, you know? Yeah. So, I I, yeah. So, it's, so Connor Tobin gets the red card. He'll be suspended for their last game of the season. Well, um, no, he was suspended for the Chattanooga game. So he, Oh, the he Chattanooga get, game. That's right. That's right. So he that's does right, get to right. play. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, and that probably was it too, right? He sees that Chattanooga fans, they're not wearing masks. The whole, you know, Chattanooga is very, very, uh, non-existent with the COVID, uh, COVID safety protocols. He's like, you know what? I'm not going to risk it. Let me go ahead and, uh, yeah, it, it, it's really interesting. The dichotomy you're talking about the mask thing, you know, it's interesting the dichotomy when you look at the stands and some of the games, because in some places like Greenville, like everyone's masked up unless they're like taking a drink or something. And, you know, and in other stadiums, it's like, I've, you know, mix like Chattanooga, like mm-hmm. you mentioned, it's like 50, yeah. 50 kind of thing. Yeah, I, I don't even think it's 50, 50 at Chattanooga. I, like the whole, the whole state of Alabama just doesn't believe in, uh, or in Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, all of them, none of them believe that this is a thing. So yeah. Um, but yeah, they have, like you, you were saying, like there, I think other teams have done a great job. Like you look at, you know, Greenville, you look at even Tormenta. In Greenville and on the broadcast, you can hear the uh, the, certain, the announcer saying mm-hmm. everyone has to keep a mask on like several times during, yeah. uh, during the match. So, so I, th- I think Chattanooga is just making uh, the South look bad. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. So on Friday evening, it was the New England Revolution 1 versus – North Texas won. This was a this was a fun match. I mean, yeah, it wasn't, don't let don't let the scoreline fool you. It wasn't quite like going up to uh, to play up in Milwaukee if you're playing against Madison because it was only American football lines and uh, soccer lines that weren't weren't like field hockey and lacrosse lines on there too. Um, really made the job easy on free kicks, right? Back up ten mm-hmm. yards. Where's ten yards? Well, <laughs> how many hash marks, man? I love uh, it. I just exactly like my notes. It says like right here, 40 yard mark. Perfect. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I, this was, this was a fun match to watch. Like, like, you know, I mentioned at the top that new England has been, has been very entertaining. These, and- these have been the two best teams in the past two months. Simple yeah. as that. I think Greenville has been consistent, but if you talk about within the past two months, these have been the two best teams. And if this, if this year went longer as it's supposed to be, these are two teams that are going to be making the playoffs because they've definitely found their stride. And I think both teams would be disappointed to not come with three points because I think they both could have won it and they both had the the entertainment value. So this was a fun game. I um I actually had picked in the pick'em this week, New England to win this match because okay. I figured, you know, Texas on the road, New England at home, they've been playing really well. See, I, I thought that with and I think uh, everyone else would take North Texas. So. Yeah, yeah. You're just trying to be different and trying to steal those points. I, I thought and and I I like I said, I think with both teams, 
uh, fans would be a little upset not to take three points, but especially North Texas going into that second half. So well, let's let's go through and talk about it. Yeah, because for, for sure, just to, to start off with some of those statistics, North Texas had twelve shots inside the box that um, that just and just couldn't finish. And wow, and look look at the, us with the same notes again. <laughs> most of those are in the second half. Yes. Um, so you know, so the thing is, they I I agree that I think that they were lucky not to take all three, or unlucky, I should say, not yeah. to. Three points, but I think that also says something about New England and Coach PA doing a better job um, with their defense and keeping their defense more compact when they're being attacked by, um, you know, by the kind of talent that North Texas has. I mean, not not that they could keep them completely off the score sheet, but they, you know, this could have been much worse, right? This could have easily been a three to one New England loss for sure. And um, New England, half of their shots coming outside the box. Usually, when you read something like that, you're like, well, that's not great. That's just kind of that's how they score though. I mean, if you yeah, look at the past couple of weeks, they, they love bangers only. Right. So they, I mean, you look at Connor Presley in the 17th minute, that went off the bar. You had one, I think in like the eighth minute that they also had that just required an amazing save from Avales to, to keep it open. So it's one of those things to where they're, they're not bad shots, right? There are shots that are on frame and that look like they have a chance. So Again, yeah, New England in the first half definitely seemed more dangerous, but in the second half they they didn't. Yeah. And I, I think one of the reasons for that is that North Texas finally got its stride and started to actually possess the ball a little more efficiently because in the first half North Texas did not have as much of the ball as they did in the second. And right. um, you know North Texas the way that they play is with the ball. Um, so well, you know you look look at passes they're pretty even but north texas if you look at the distribution there were more passes for north texas in the second half and i think a big adjustment was thomas roberts in the second half was coming back for the ball so instead of arturo being in the midfield and kind of being the one to come back for the ball they pushed arturo a little bit more to the side and had him move up further and thomas roberts was the one that came back and was springing the attacks down the sides to arturo and the other players and so i think that was a big difference and it caused a shift defensively for new england to start focusing more on the sides, allowing for that middle to open up. And I would say, too, toward the end, uh, with some of the substitutions, you also had North Texas pressing for the winner, for sure. Um, So adding in Resnick uh, and taking out Alex Bruce. Alex Bruce did not have a good game. Uh, He was pretty quiet. He played 72 minutes, only had 11 passes, had no duels won, lost five duels, and uh, only two touches in the offensive third. He so, he has to, he he needs a partner in my opinion. I think he plays better when he's playing off of someone. If you put him up there by himself and, and trying to use him as a holdup, I don't think you're getting the best value out of him. Well, they also didn't have yeah, and Domus wasn't in at the time. Right, right? Exactly. He, even if Domus plays wide, he'll sometimes like cut inside and he can almost <laughs> partner with Bruce and and Domus was on the bench for most of the most of the game too. So um, so I agree with you. I think you know putting him up there is kind of on an island. Um, I mean, you know, they did score, right? I mean, Arturo Rodriguez, you know, made some magic happen with Hernandez, but, um, but nonetheless, you know, I would just point out that Alex did not have a great game, even without that. I mean, I just think the fact that he, he lost all five duels that he participated in is just not a good, um, you know, just not having a good game. Yeah. And, but that's also too, like not to knock because New England's defense has been stellar the past two months, right? Like that was they up until last week they weren't allowing any goals they had went like what four games without allowing a goal so it's it's a tough to leave one person out there on a defense that's like that so yeah, that's fair um, yeah 
So should we go through the goals? Yeah, let's do yeah, it real quick. New England got on the board early. Uh, Justin Rennix uh, fed the ball into uh, Damian Rivera. Uh, there was a poor distribution by Avales. I mean, it was absolutely yeah, terrible. He, yeah, he tried to he tried to hit Cirillo about forty yards out and kept it on the ground. I refer to that as the Jason pass because uh, <laughs> that's the kind of stuff that I do, and I wouldn't recommend other keepers doing it. Um, but shout out to uh, shout out to the deflection and Rivera just taking the ball and sprinting down forty yards, and he has to take on about four players, and you can see that they didn't want to close in on him because they wanted to make sure that they were getting everyone who was making the run on the sides of him. And so then he said, okay, well, if no one's going to close in on me, I'm just going to yeah, go ahead and hit going. the bag. Yeah. yeah. So, so, um, so Cirillo and, and uh, Shea were, were right in front or Che were right in front of Rivera and neither of them stepped to yeah. the ball. Right. So, so one of them has to press and one of them has to cover, but instead they both kind of were yep. flat and uh, you know, they, they let Rivera get the ball into his right foot and just curl the ball around everyone into the far posts. So. And I think both goals in this game were, were also great, individual performances because both of those players didn't lose stride. And I think that's really important, especially on that field where everything is so fast and the ball it moves. Yep. If you yep. slow down, down the mm-hmm. play right from the Patriots. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so I think because they didn't lose that stride, it's really t- like defenders have a split second to make a decision. If you make the wrong one, you see you get a goal scored on yep. you. So the second goal, North Texas tied it up in the 49th minute, a little bit after halftime. Um, I was getting a drink of water, so I had to remind it because. So I, it's it's, it's all Iris' fault, New England fans. It's all Iris' <laughs> yeah, fault. Sorry, sorry about that. Um, so on, on this one, Arturo passes the ball kind of through and over two defenders. It was kind of a. It was like a nice little chip lob. Chip, it, was, yeah. it was nice. It was, because it was he switched nice. he switched his feet with it too and that's what opened that up so he's on the side roberts gets it to him and then does a nice job kind of overlapping to the side as well so now you've drawn in two yeah. or three defenders you've opened up that little space and arturo does a nice job kind of just it's almost like a floater in basketball he just floats it up a little yeah. bit and hernandez like you said he was in stride he yeah. he settled the ball nicely with uh with his first touch and then he was one-on-one with bell um yeah who Bell tried to force Hernandez to the outside to keep him to, to the left side of the penalty area. And Hernandez just made the nice little outside of the right foot dink move. And he just had Hernandez on the wrong foot. Yeah. And, and um, again, like you said, it's the stride. If he doesn't catch that in stride, you, he has a defender two feet behind and that then catches up. So that's the difference, especially on that fast field. Yep. Yeah, definitely. So uh, Hernandez, you know, kept going right to the six yard line uh, yard box and, and finished past Meyer. And, and that was it. Um, I thought Meyer had a good game. I mean, even that one, I mean, it was hard, you know, it would have been a great save if he had, if he had saved that one, but, but Meyer had a great game for new England had five saves. So, you know, between Meyer and rice, like new England's got some decent yeah. goalkeeping. Yeah. Uh, listen, the two teams are, are better this year, right? Like you look at, you look at New England, you look at Fort Lauderdale, Tucson, which isn't considered a two-team anymore, but they just took a little longer to catch their stride, which makes sense because they're all these new players. They're new teams, right? It's taking time, but 
I mean, it's a shame that the season is short because I think this would be a really interesting, if we this was another seven weeks, this would be a really interesting finish to see exactly how many of these two teams would get into the playoffs because it might be more than we expect. It could be, you know, if we were having a four-team playoff, it could be two, three of them that made it. Yeah, it's completely possible. I mean, especially in the form that they're they're in. Of course, could they keep it up? I mean, that that's what you that's what the longer season would uh, would now, prove one way or the other for sure. Now, I will say as a neutral, you have to be ecstatic that North Texas didn't win this game because Arturo is is starting to hit Super Saiyan mode. He is absolutely inc- like he had seven or eight chances created this game. Um, he was one, you know, great save away from, from winning the game. Um, you know, you had a couple that went off the woodwork for North Texas. And so I'm sure a lot of neutral fans are happy North Texas didn't win that and have that, you know, have that better chance of possibly getting second place because they are, they are in full 2019 mode right now. I think they're. They, they they still have a shot, but um, they need help. They need, they need right. two other teams not to do well the, this week. Um, shall we go on to talk about a team that we thought might have a shot, but no longer does? Uh, uh, let me let me take a drink because boy, they they make me want to drink. <laughs> so we go to that place where masks seem to be optional uh, to Chattanooga, Tennessee, where Chattanooga scored one and forward Madison also scored one. So forward Madison with two draws in a row, um, but, and also, you know, getting goals in, in all those games. So um, in this game in, you had uh, her score to PK early on in the eighth minute, he was taken down in the box. Uh, Fernandez tripped him. I mean, yeah. tripped for sure. I mean, every day of the week, um, it was pretty funny. I, I watched Fernandez go up to the referee, like, what did I do? And like, dude, you clipped, you tripped the guy. Has know? that ever worked? Like, has anyone ever went to the ref and be like, I didn't touch him. And the ref went, you know what? I didn't think about it, but I, I hear the, I hear it in your voice. You didn't, yeah. you didn't. Touch it, it. I'm gonna so, so actually I, I have seen, and I've actually refed in games as well, where <laughs> the, the assistant referee will come up and be like, you know, he actually didn't touch him, but, but you know, that's someone else making a call as opposed to, you know, the ref changing their mind because the ref sees what they see, right? You're supposed to call the game that you see. Right. Um, so, so, uh, so yeah, that definitely the right call. And, and I was, uh, you know, it's, I think it's interesting when the, the person who gets fouled also takes the kick um, because, you know, that, that person, if they're rattled or they're, you know, just got knocked I, out. See, I respect it though. Cause you've earned it. Right. Yeah. That's how, that's my opinion. Like you've earned, like if I, like, obviously some teams have a designated PK taker, but I feel like if you were the one that got tripped up in the box, you were the one that had the, the, you know, the, the dribble overs and calls the penalty, then you should be able to take it. Yeah, that's fair. And, and we know Hurst is one of their goal scorers anyway. So, um, and then in the 69th minute, Michael Vang is back, um, gets his fourth goal of the season. Um, and, uh, to tie it up, uh, Vang had, he'd been, yeah, reasonably quiet, but uh, but there was a very oh, good counterpart. And they bear, they haven't scored but like a goal in the well, past five games. It seems well, like quiet. I mean, well, that's not true. They scored two against the uh, for Lord well Day. before yeah before this week. Yeah. I'm sorry, <laughs> right. Um, so there was a really good counter press by Madison actually because Chattanooga had the ball in the left corner and everyone was covered and and Chattanooga was trying to play out instead of trying to hit it long which would have been the smart thing to do. Um, get you know in retrospect obviously you can say that for sure. Uh, eventually it led to a poor pass. It was intercepted by Troyama who t- yeah. poked it away. Paulo Jr. collects the ball, passes it to Vang. Vang makes this really quick little nutmeg move on uh, who is it? Oh, uh, Ovalley. Um, 
maybe no no Maui plays for a Ford so um oh sorry yeah 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 I can't remember who I don't know if it was Ricketts I don't remember who was uh who was back there anyway so someone got megged by uh but by, by Vang and um Mangles uh and then Vang's one-on-one with Mangles and just finishes it right-footed at far post and you know very very nice finish but but it's really the the run into the box um that that made this goal and I, I recommend that you watch the highlight I thought the pressure made the goal. I love that Ford Madison pressure because where they trapped them is one of the most dangerous, if not the most dangerous places to get trapped. You're on the sideline of your own half, maybe about 20 yards from your box. And so it's one of those things to where if you can get the ball out of the trap into the middle of the field, then you've got all the space, all this room. And all of a sudden now you're on the attack and you've got a good goal scoring opportunity. But if you can't, then you're probably going to get scored on. And that's exactly what happened. It was a bad pass. It was a panic mode and Ford took full advantage of it. I, we talk about it all the time. Ford does a great job in picking and choosing when to trap the ball. Yeah. And when they did it too, they also overloaded, right? So they also yeah. had one extra player. So it was really a three, three V four in that corner. And I think that really made the difference, right? Because I don't remember who it was, but there was someone even in front of where Paolo jr. And Triama was, um, you know, trying to pressure the, the right, back for uh um the right back for chattanooga um so you know a pretty entertaining game um well, forward well, had most of the ball i mean i thought let's, i mean let's let's talk about what chattanooga lost his game like simple like you don't come out with the playoffs on the line from from the 45th minute mark ira to the 80th minute mark chattanooga zero shots zero key passes one successful pass into the box, zero, or I'm sorry, one unsuccessful cross, no successful crosses. That's it. From the 45th minute to the 80th minute mark, that's half, That's damn near half the game. And then when you look at Ford in that same time space, nine shots, five key passes, a goal, three successful crosses, six successful crosses into the box. So our six successful passes into the box, I'm sorry, it's night and day. So when you, especially at home, Chattanooga comes out, takes an early goal. There's no excuse why you come out in the second half like that from 45th minute to eight with the, with your season on the line. Are you yeah, kidding? You need, a, you, you need a second goal there, right? And that's, uh, that's the same thing they did against Tormenta where they went into the half up playing well. And then the second half, they just completely disappeared at home. So I have a question. Do you, do you think that part of that is just tired legs? Like they wanted it so bad in the first half or do, do you, because I didn't see much that, that changed tactically. Like well, their shape was very similar. Um, you, you know, it, it, it just seemed like they were more lethargic, like, Hey, let's maybe just make sure like they, they were almost giving forward too much. That's exactly like you can't, you can't get pressured. You should not have three people on your right back in your own half, right? Like you shouldn't. And I know it's one of those things where you're trying to protect the lead, but if you consistently pass the ball around and keep possession, you don't have to worry about that. And then, but they allowed for too much access onto their side of the field. They allowed for too much access to the ball and they paid for it. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I know there was, People, you know, BD was injured. I know that, you know, they had a they had a couple of injured players, and you know, Hurst is coming back from injury and has to play for full ninety minutes. But it's it's one of those things to where it's just and they had their chances, right? Pineda had a chance. We I talk about you know we're gonna talk about Brady again, one on one. Hurst had Hurst had two chances, one on one against Brady. Brady shut him down. Pineda had a one on one chance. He got shut down. So you know, props the props to Brady. The kid's been killing it, but. Brady only needed to make two saves, and they were both right at the end of the game. Yeah. It's just—it's one of those things to where I, I just 
as as well as four played, I'm looking at this as Chattanooga with the season on the line. That's what you're giving me. I I just as a fan, I'm most dis- like as a if you took all the fans and you talk about you know Richmond's disappointment, you talk about these other teams. I'm if I'm a Chattanooga fan, I'm sick because that's not how you want to go out. You want to go out with at least seeing your players playing until they cannot stand and putting energy in the whole 90 minutes, not doing zero shots, zero successful passes into the box, zero key passes for almost half of the game. That's absolutely wild. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so they have one more game and it's a game that matters for one of the teams now instead of two teams, which would have been way more exciting. Second, second year in a row now that go, you know, going into the last week, it's, it's pretty much a wrap for Chattanooga, right? Like last year it was like, they had a chance, they had the win and then other things had to happen. And then this year now don't even matter. Yep. For sure. So shall we go on to, I'm, I'm not going to say that this was the upset of the weekend, but it was a little bit of an upset for sure. Um, Richmond kickers hosted South Georgia Tormenta and South Georgia Tormenta won this match one nil. Last week, Elliot was worried about uh, Marco Micheletto. He mentioned it on this show. It was pretty prescient. Yep. Anything, Jason? It's uh, first and foremost, I don't, you talk about effort. I just, it's another one I didn't see from Richmond. I just, you know, like two key passes and only one shot in the first half that wasn't blocked. You you have your playoffs and your your championship on the line. I would expect them at home to come out more energetic, to come out more physical. They're just, in my opinion, not playing like the team that they were playing for pretty much the yeah, you know I, half I, season. I was a little bit surprised they didn't try and press more. You know, like like early in the season they had pressed. Like maybe they're uh, you know could be a little tired. They know that they're playing. You know Wednesday. You know they just played Wednesday and now they're playing again on uh, um, on. Uh, on Saturday, but it's still, like you said, like, this is it. This is your playoff hopes, right? You win this game and you are a hundred percent in the driver's seat for your playoff hopes. Now they have to win the next two games in order to, in order to make the playoffs. They, you know, they, if they do win the next two games are definitely in the playoffs, but if they won this one, then they don't have to go 500 and they'd be uh, in, in the finals. Right. So, you know, now, you know, now they have to sweep instead of, instead of winning two out of three, basically. Um, you know, the, the, uh, you know, the other thing was, is like, I don't know what's going on with Terzaghi. Like he doesn't look like he did. Maybe he's tired. Like one of the things that I know the guys at river city 93 mentioned was he's not really a holdup guy and he's been, you know, maybe getting knocked around a little bit, but you know, he only had four shots, two were blocked. Only one was on target. Um, and uh, you know, in the past, one of those would have been a goal, right? Like he would have had like four shots, you know, three on target and one, one of them was a goal. So I think it's the, the, the shot selections, right? He's the, these shots he's having now are more forced, right? It's one of those things to where he's getting the ball where he can, and he's shooting it where in the rest of the first half of the season, when Richmond was really rolling, when you had those runs from Boldick, when you had Riley Kraft getting into the box, those goals he was scoring were crosses coming in or were through balls to him already in stride. Now he is playing with his back behind, behind the, or 
not facing his back facing the goal, collecting the ball and trying to make something happen. And he's not getting the quality shots he was getting at the beginning of the year. So even if he's averaging the same amount of shots per game, they're different shot selections and they're different quality and they're not as good. So like the one you're saying that was on goal, he still had to make happen for himself. And so like we were talking about, you know, weeks ago, I don't really know if it is a tired legs thing. It's just the personnel, but for him to be getting so far away from goal and him not making those runs, like it should be playing wide. It should be getting crosses into him. It should be trying to get through balls. in. I don't understand why he has to come to the top of the box or come even close to midfield to collect the ball and be a creator to try to pass the ball and then make a run. Um, but it's obviously affecting their scoring ability. So Jason, I'm going to get back in my soapbox here. Uh, but first I just want to mention, uh, uh, give a shout out to Shanir from River City 93 because he made a great point on their show after this game. And that's that Matt Bolduck playing right back is, you know, is an issue for, for the kickers. I mean, losing, losing uh, um, Ian Antley is just a huge, um, it, has, it seems to be a huge blow, right? So, so Bolduck's okay on the right side. He's an okay one-on-one defender. But he, his chemistry with the rest of the back line I don't think is great. And I'll talk about that when we talk about the goal in a minute because, again, I'm going to get on my soapbox again. And uh, But he's a better winger. He's a better attacker. He's the guy who can feed Terzaghi, right? And if you have like Mwape on one side, Bolduck on the other, you know how dangerous that trio was up front for the first two-thirds of the season. Um, and without that, I, I think it's a, it's, a, it's a serious problem. So depth at right back is definitely something that Richmond needs to think about in the offseason is having you know two guys that he each position basically um and maybe they think that they do and someone else is is just you know maybe not up to snuff or, or is injured but the goal that occurred which occurred in late in injury time in the 45th minute tormenta moved the ball quickly forward vignelles uh takes the space that richmond afforded him because the richmond midfield was too far forward 50 um, yards without getting touched yeah 50 yeah, without exactly. Touch. So, and you know, Kraft's got back. So basically, it was the back line and Kraft, right? So it was the back four plus Kraft, uh, and it was a then as the three v five. Well, your numbers up here, Richmond. But he, here's what happens. So, um, so with uh, with Vignelles taking all this space, uh, it was basically it was Kraft, Venter, and Thompson were basically blocking off all of the angles that Vignelles could take himself. Micheletto makes a run around the back. Now, Scotty Thompson was on the left playing left back, right? He was stand basically next to Kyle Ventner. And um, he like, like what, what happens off the ball? Well, Scotty's like, okay, well I have to cut off the angle go here. Cause I don't want the through ball to come. Micheletto makes an angled run. He would have been offside. He Micheletto would have been offside except Phelps, Phelps, a guy who usually plays center back, playing up front this time, decides that he's going to go and make a run to the far post from there. And who follows him? Matt Bolduck. Matt Bolduck follows Phelps, keeping Micheletto on side. So you I think this two, is 100% Bolduck's fault. You had two players following him. You When you watched Vinala start cutting in, right, you had, uh, you had two players, and one was you had Bolduck, Closer to Phelps, and then you had I can't I think it was Venter closer to uh, Vinales, and both of them 
change their body position as if they're trying to block off the pass to Phelps. Why Why are we worried about Joshua Phelps making an overlapping <laughs> run? What are we doing? It's Phelps. I don't even know why he was lined up as, as a nine to begin with. What, what? Out of all the players in the world, you're telling me you're going to focus on Phelps instead of Micheletto making a run and be now going into – what? I, what in the world? Yeah, I mean, but but my, my point was is that I, I don't think you could put this. I mean, I agree that that maybe you know maybe Kyle could have uh, you know uh, maybe tackled the ball instead of uh, instead of basically trying to contain. But let that man go. Let him make yeah, the run. Let him go, and then he's offside anyway. That's my point. Like if Bulldog doesn't Joshua. go with them and they hold the eighteen, if, if you all, get if, beat by Joshua Phelps one on one, then you you go away and say, you know what? <laughs> it is what it is at that point. That's not off. That's not on us. That's on God. Because yeah. there's no way you should be allowing Micheletto or Vinales to have open space, and that's exactly what they did. And yeah. I just I watched their body positions, and I was like, I know that they are not trying to block off this pass to Joshua Phelps, but apparently that's what they did. And I was fear. <laughs> you talk about furious. I yeah. cannot. And so so Scotty Thompson on the pass. I I think he was thinking that uh that that Micheletto was offside. Of course he wasn't. Um. You know, he couldn't quite get his foot in, and uh, Micheletta was able to make a shot and uh, and go far post, and and Akira just couldn't get it. Um, and then Micheletto does another bonehead thing, though. He, he like as great as that play was, he made a total bonehead mistake late in the game. So he actually came down on Bolduck on it, which was a, clearly a foul. Bolduck must have said something to him. So I was going to say, do you think that Bolduck either said something, or maybe because of the camera angle, we didn't see kick out on Micheletto when Micheletto was getting up off of him? Uh, it's possible. It's it's either of those two things is very plausible. But the retaliation always gets yeah, the card. Yeah, so I mean, you keep your hands behind your back. You you know make yourself big, puff out your chest yeah. or something. See, say he words, only did it. He only did it because Ian because Ian Antley wasn't around. He wouldn't. <laughs> he wouldn't have done that if Antley was healthy and it was on the field. That would have because he would have been. He would have been. Yeah. Uh, uh, he would have gotten a, a, an elbow to the top of the head and wound, wound up being a stake in the ground or something. But he, but he, before that, he had a fantastic game. I think he's been the bright spot of Tormenta this year. I think, you know, Micheletto is always the player that even if Tormenta's not playing as well as they usually are, he's still someone that can just bring an offensive spark out of nowhere. And all of a sudden you're looking like, wait, how did they just score a goal on us? Well, Tormenta's had the problem. So I went back last week and I didn't mention this on the show last week, but I went back and they haven't had, they haven't had the same 18 um, all season. They've oh, always had players all the time. And, um, you know, for a large part of the season, they only had like, you know, 15 players that were available. So, I mean, um, we're playing Joshua Phelps as the number nine. And I'm not, maybe he has experience. That's not, that's not a terrible idea, really, as a hold up striker to try and, like, you know, hold up the ball and then get it I, out. Yeah, apparently out. not. Yeah. If, if, when your Richmond is so afraid to make <laughs> make an overlapping run. <laughs> I mean, I mean, you know, you don't have any tape on him, right? So, like, you know, what, do you, what are you going to do if you're, uh, if you're Darren Sawatsky? Like they're putting him where, like, you know, like, like maybe we, you know, maybe we, we know something, they know something that we don't, um, in this game, Tormenta had 27 clearances. Um, uh, you know, that, that was, I I don't know if that's a record, but that's a lot of clearances for sure. Uh, in a single game. Yeah. It's Um, a, I, don't, I think we had like a thirty-six one a couple of weeks ago. So. Oh, that's right. Yeah, we did. That, that, that's right. But um, but that's that's still a lot, and and probably worthy of a of just a stat watch. 
Um, anything else about this game other than Richmond? Had you gotten a draw or a win, it would have been way better for you for your playoff hopes. I'm not even like I'm not even. I'm just mad that out of all the players in USL League One, and out of all the players you were worried about making an overlapping run with the playoffs on the line, y'all are worried about Josh. And this is not, Josh, if you are watching this, this is not an attack on you. Like I said, you might have some experience being a number nine in the past. You might be a great number nine. I'm just saying, as someone who has never played a number nine in this league and with the playoffs on the line, I do not expect a team to have two defenders worried about your overlapping run. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, and it wasn't even like Vignelles could have like chipped him the ball for a header or something either, right? Right. <laughs> like, it's not like it was a cross coming in or something like that. That that I would worry about with Josh Phelps up front for sure. Um, so you know, you know, they did they didn't have a crazy number of crosses actually in this game. Um, all right, so shall we go on to a game that I have to admit I did not watch, which because it had zero implications for the playoffs, which was FC Tucson, who beat OCB 2-0 uh, out in the desert. Uh, yes. goals by, two goals by Joshua Cohn, uh, one assisted by Ch- uh, Charlie Dennis, the other one uh, assisted by Manuel uh, Ferrioli, um, or Ferriol. And anything about this match that you want to bring up here, Jason? Yeah. If I'm listen, I'm excited if I'm a Tucson fan. I think that Tucson is another team that has been playing extremely well and has found their stride. It's unfortunate it's a short season. Um, I think they have a very a wide selected amount of players that are very talented. Um, now that they're going independent, or now that they are independent, um, you know, you've got Amanda who's who does what she does. She's one of the best in the in all of US soccer, and it's one of those things to where I'm excited if I'm a Tucson fan. I feel like this is the optimism this past month, month and a half. They've really shown signs to where they're going to be a good team. They're going to have a good structure, a good amount of players to choose from. And yeah, I mean, you look at this year, this whole year has just been, I don't even have a word to describe it, right? So this is a write-off year, but for this to be a write-off year for them, I think they've shown a lot of quality and a lot of good signs to where they're they're giving their fans something exciting, you know, something to be looking forward to in the future. I've been really impressed with Tucson the past couple of weeks. Yeah, I, I have as well. I, I mean, you know, their attack has been has been good. Their defense has certainly gotten better and and more uh, solidified. And and I agree with you. I, I think you know a lot of their losses were on the road. You know, they they still have mm-hmm. this issue with travel. It just it's got to take a lot of wear and tear. And just you know, if you're not mentally prepared you didn't sleep well you're in a hotel for you know two nights instead of one kind of thing um i think all of those things probably uh probably do matter for some of their performances um you know stats wise uh, you know obviously totally dominated by by tucson and and in fact the the fact that it was only two nothing is uh, pretty amazing because tucson had 24 shots inside the box yeah 24 I mean, and then again, when you play when you play Orlando, it's almost like a it's almost like a pickup game. You should feel kind of bad. <laughs> like it's one of those things to where I don't think teams are even like trying. Like they're just trying new things, right? Like when you are in your coach and you're trying to like the the schoolyard free kicks and the the different wild uh, plays from a corner kick and stuff. Like that's the game you try them with, right? Like okay, we're gonna we're gonna send this cross forty yards and then Charlie, you're gonna one touch it out of the air into for for an 18 yard banger like well, that, well then ocb ocb then is is hosting richmond this week so <laughs> listen if, you know? if i mean richmond 
I we when we talked about it two two weeks ago or three weeks ago, however long it was, I told you this was Richmond's to lose. And if they did lose it though, that North Texas was the one to watch for. And we're talking about Omaha next because Omaha's definitely been yeah. someone that is surprising me and I think deserves it. But I just did not envision that Richmond's playoff line would be coming down to this OCB game as a must win, right? Yeah. Like this was one yeah, of exactly. I thought yeah. They'd pretty much be wrapped up. They could draw against OCB, and they wouldn't have to worry about the last week. And instead, now they have to beat OCB in Orlando. And remember last year, Greenville, they had everything that they needed to, to wrap it up. They had to play OCB. Your boy predicted that OCB was going was gonna <laughs> to get that win. Am I going to predict it this week? We'll see in a couple minutes when we do our previews. <laughs> All right. Well, and we have one more game to review before we uh, before we get to that, and that is the bangers only game. We can call this. It was Greenville Triumph one, Union Omaha two. Was you know a little bit of an upset, but not really crazy upset. But but Omaha's form had not been good the last couple of weeks, really. Um, so you know they had a problem scoring. They they weren't taking a ton of high quality chances. I would argue that some of the shots that they took in this game were not particularly high quality either. But they did obviously get the two, and and you know they led in the most important stat of all, and that was on the the score line. Um, before we get into the goals, Jason, anything big picture you want to talk about with this match? Uh, listen, I think every team this week didn't respond the way they needed to with the playoffs on the line. You look at Chattanooga, you look at Richmond, you look at North Texas. I mean, granted, North Texas played well, but with the playoffs on the line and your championship on the line, I expect to be all out, even if you do have one more game left, right? You 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 suck it up and you do it for two games. And I think Omaha is the only team who really stepped up and showed that they really wanted this championship. Yeah, it seems it seems that way. And and how they did it tactically was by beating Greenville at their own game. Yep. Um, so Greenville had sixty five percent possession in this game. Now I know you say that it's a crap stat, but the reason why I'm bringing that up is because it you could definitely see it in this game where Greenville had the ball around Omaha's box most of the game. I mean, you look at the touch map, like just go look at the heat map on the League One website. And what you'll see is that basically like all of these touches by uh, by Greenville around the penalty area, but not a lot of penetration into the penalty area. And Greenville had a serious problem doing that. And that's not how Greenville typically plays. Right. Greenville usually plays a little bit of, you know, counterattack, counterpress and get the ball forward quickly. And, you know, by Union Omaha, you know, allowing the ball in and, in and around the box, but not actually in the box. Um was, uh, you know, I think a testament to some some pretty good tactical uh, setup by uh, by Jay Mims. Yeah. Um, I mean, you look at it, Omaha had 36% possession with more shots, more chances created, uh, more corners. They they just dominated when they had the ball, and it was one of those things to where, like you said, they, they said, yeah, Greenville, take your time trying to figure us out because as soon as we get the ball, we know what we're going to do with it, and – bangers is what they did with it greenville had 559 completed passes crazy it's a lot of completed passes that's a north texas 2019 number of completed passes right there all right uh so we should go through the goals because like we said they were bangers um 
And uh, in the 19th minute, uh, Omaha goes up. Christian Molina uh, scored from Evan Conway uh, on the assist. Conway got the ball away from two Greenville defenders near midfield, and Conway just you know passes the ball to Molina, who is making a run down the left touch line. Molina finds himself one-on-one with Murillo. Murillo cuts inside. I mean, uh, you know, and uh, and then there was no pressure. Murillo did not pressure the ball at all. I call that the FIFA goal. Like if you ever play FIFA and you see that you have that one-on-one. You have an inverted winger. Yeah. yeah, You have that cut inside. You get that space. I think I don't, I haven't played FIFA in years, but I think it's like the the R button triangle. Well, well, you know, you know who, uh, you know, scores goals like this, quite frankly, is Christian Pulisic used to score goals like this because he's a right footed player on the plate, usually playing on the left wing and he'll cut inside. Now Christian Pulisic also has a great left foot too. So you can't ignore that. But, but a lot of times when he hits bangers, it's, it's very similar to this but but the important thing here i think is mario really needed to um you, you know really needed to to get on to molina so mm-hmm. when molina cut inside without the pressure um molina takes this bending shot to the far post that you know there was no way that dallas jay was going to get that ball jason yep. I mean, that's the goals you have to score against Greenville. And that's why I said, like, Omaha stepped up. They, like, going to Greenville where Greenville doesn't lose uh, at home and and being able to hit those 20-something-yard bangers, and they knew that's what they were going to have to do. And, they, and this one they- really – and this one really did bang because it hit off the inside of the crossbar and went in and or inside of the far post and went in. And I, yeah, I love those goals. Not really. exactly. And you take that, like you said, Murillo gave him the space. So if you're, if you got the space, you have to take it, especially against Greenville. And that's what they did. Yeah. Um, the 36 minute Greenville got the equalizer. Uh, uh, Noah Pilato uh, from Omar Muhammad. Uh, so the, uh, the ball was crossed from in from the left side of the penalty area. It was poorly cleared. Lance to Muhammad. Muhammad has two players right in front of them can't really do anything uh takes a takes a look back and makes a perfectly weighted ball right up to the d and if he hits it any harder or any softer so if he hits any softer it probably gets intercepted right if he hits it any harder then uh then pilato wasn't wouldn't be able to take the shot first time he'd have to probably take a touch and then shoot and he would have been closed down which is exactly what omaha was doing for most of the game but because he was able to take the shot first time he hits it through traffic to the far post and it goes inside the side netting had to get through five players jason this easily could have been blocked and there were other shots that were blocked uh that that greenville took in the same kind of way um but you know nice finish from pilato and muhammad has been really productive and scary since he's been back you know didn't get to play a lot of the year with injuries and now that he's been playing he's really i mean you already had to worry about morell up there on one side and now you have to worry about muhammad and i i listen if this is a, a preview of the championship game, I'm excited because yeah. I, th- I think this is the easily the most entertaining matchup that we could possibly have with all the scenarios right now. Yeah. Um, so at one, one, I was feeling pretty good about my pick them there, Jason, because I would have gotten my lock, uh, you know, but the score line just did not, uh, did not stay because in the 66 no. minute, you should Evan, never bet against friends of the podcast, Ira. That's true. <laughs> Evan Conway scores from uh, from Central Jersey's own Ethan Vanacore Decker. 
So Omaha was possessing in the final third. Um, it looked like you know they were then counter counter pressing. Sosa gets the ball near the right corner flag, uh, and uh, he gets the ball to Decker, who's like right inside the penalty area. And Decker, instead of turning toward goal, turns away from goal and just passes the ball out to the D. Very similar to the previous goal where Muhammad passed the ball to Pilato and, you know, he finds Evan Conway. Evan Conway does take a touch, sets himself up with his left foot, plants his right foot, and then hits a left-footed curler, far post, upper 90. Great finish. Listen, I again, probably, I mean, North Texas, New England was entertaining, but this was this was what looked like the top two teams in the league playing against each other. It, that's what it looked like to me, and you see – the 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 way that those goals had to be scored is shows just how great these teams are defensively and the the kind of effort that they were putting in around the box. So, yeah, and on you know on a different day, you know the goalkeepers you know a foot one way or the other, and you know if Dallas J is you know one foot to his right and he gets a fingertip on that ball, it ends up being a draw, right? So mm-hmm. it'll be really interesting. Could you get 120 minutes? Of, of that kind of play for sure if, if these two teams do meet in the finals. Jason, anything else about this match? No, just like I said, shout out to Omaha. Uh, the, the the big green belt, I think it's called, the, <laughs> gets to go to Omaha. So here's uh, so here's the standing. So as we know, Greenville Triumph are going to be hosting the finals. There's uh, that That's guaranteed. Um, Union Omaha is currently in second in the table, um, but Richmond Kickers have a game in hand, so points per game, they're tied. Um, so here are the scenarios. The scenarios are Union Omaha wins, Richmond Kickers win out, Richmond Kickers, with their two wins, go to the finals on the wins tiebreaker, which is the first tiebreaker. Some people have suggested that the wins tiebreaker is not as good as goal differential. I completely disagree. I actually think that incentivizing winning instead of drawing and just going for maximum you know, goal differential is better. Um, just because you're you're incentivizing winning, so I I personally prefer that. Actually, I, like I prefer. That. I like I like that too, Ira. I'm yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page because yeah. a lot of teams, especially away games, right? It's one of those things yeah. to where you go up one zero, and in the 70th minute, it's it's bunker down, and we're just going to try to get a draw. Or if you score late and you tie it one one, it's just like all right, we're we're fine. fine. Yeah, we're, we're we're good. Yeah, you don't go for the winner. Yeah, you know, so it incentivizes winners. I mean, actually, actually, I really prefer head to head, and then yeah, you know, I maybe like away goals or something. But but you know, wins is fine. I mean, it's easier when you have an unbalanced schedule like this. It probably makes more sense to do wins. Um, the uh, so uh, you know other scenarios are Omaha loses, North uh, Richmond kickers um, you know win one and uh, and lose one. In that case, the kickers still go. In this scenario, where Union Omaha loses, the kickers lose both of their matches. North Texas wins both of their matches. North Texas goes. So a very North Texas still is not mathematically eliminated, but the the fact is is that if Union Omaha gets um, uh, gets a single point, actually, then uh, actually no, then it will come down to the goal differential. But if Union Omaha wins, then North Texas is eliminated. If the kickers get four points, the Texas is eliminated. So. Um, so Texas has a really uphill battle. I mean, they, they need a lot. Like, so. That's why I said like that, that, that draw hurts them, especially a game that looked like they could have won. That really hurt them. Um, yeah. it would have set up a really, really, really entertaining last week. Um, 
But again, we still got one. Uh, let's go over the games and yeah. kind of talk about the the strength of these games, right? Because that's what I think it comes down to is who has the tougher matchups. We have eight matches this week, three on Wednesday, five on Saturday on decision day, I guess you could call it, even though the games are all start at different times. Um, 11 a.m. on Wednesday, tomorrow. So we're recording this Tuesday night, the 20th of October. Um, at 11 a.m. Eastern time, OCB takes on the Richmond Kickers. Um, I'm going to try and watch that game while I'm eating lunch. Um, so uh, Richmond has to win, right? Yeah. And I, they should yeah. win, but. Yeah. Well, uh, listen, the way the way this season's been going, I, I don't know. I I do feel a lot more confident in Richmond winning than I did last year when I said that Greenville wouldn't win. So I'm not going to to say that uh, Orlando is going to win this one. Um, but I, I do think Richmond's going to win. But at the same time, the way they're playing, it's not a gimme anymore, right? Can they right. score the goals? And then even when they played uh, Richmond, Orlando a couple weeks ago, right? Like it was one of those games to where Richmond won, but then Orlando scored one late and kind of had momentum at the very end of the game. And so you're, they're going to have to go out there and play 90 full minutes, but then also have to turn around and play Saturday. So it's going to be tough. Yep. Then South Georgia Tormenta at 7 PM plays uh, and hosts the new England revolution Two. Um, it's a game that doesn't matter that much. I mean, ba- both teams are playing for pride at this point. Um, 8 p.m. Madison versus North Texas. So, you know, North Texas, again, if they want any chance, this El is a must win. It comes down to El Plastico. <laughs> it could. Um, I, I mean, you know, either of these teams could win. I mean, Madison's been getting informed, like we talked about a little bit. And, you know, North Texas is, um, you know, up and down. They sometimes defensively aren't great. And, you know, North Texas on the road playing. Are, are, do, you know, do you know which stadium they're playing? Are they back in Madison? No, they're, no, they're, they're not. They might not ever get to play in Madison again. So that's some news that we'll discuss more next week uh, when we get some more information about it. But wow. with the city right now, yeah, they because they have to be able to sign a contract and get you know a deal going for 2021, I don't think they're able to do that for Madison right now because of the protocols. And so they might have they're, – they're looking, I believe, for a new stadium to play in next year. Wow. Yeah, man, 2020 sucks. Um, sure does. Yeah, so then Saturday, decision day, 1 p.m., OCB versus Greenville in a game top of the table Greenville versus bottom lucky. of the table. Greenville's lucky that they've already got it locked up. So, <laughs> two years of so I really thought. So I really thought that um, that Greenville was going to rest some players going, going to Tucson, and I think this is a real opportunity for them to yeah. rest some they, players. They have right? no choice now, especially yeah. since they started everyone at home. I think that was – Harks' last, like, you guys go out there, play against a very competitive team that we might end up seeing. I want to see, you know, full out effort, and then I won't make you guys play against Orlando. Right. Um, then 6.30 p.m., the game that might decide this thing, Richmond Kickers versus Chattanooga Red Wolves. As we said, the Red Wolves are out, so they're playing for pride. And to be a spoiler, the Kickers, on the other hand, you know, if they beat OCB – um, and they win this, then the the next game doesn't matter. So if, if Richmond wins both of these games, then you can turn. You know, you don't have to log into you know any of the other games because it won't matter. Um, I probably still will watch at least one of them because I will. Um, but yeah, I mean, who you know, Chattanooga is so up and down these days. Like I don't know, and yeah i mean who knows because again richmond has to go to orlando which is big it's not like they get to play two home games this week right and then so you go to orlando midweek then you fly back 
And then, yeah, because Chattanooga has nothing to play for, they might play, you know, some of the younger guys. They might play the guys who are looking to make a good impression, show a bunch of energy. And now it's one of those things. The, the key to this game is that Richmond cannot go behind. They cannot allow Chattanooga to get that first goal. They are not a come from behind team. And they are a team that needs to score and then be able to mark themselves and get themselves settled defensively because if Chattanooga goes up, even though Chattanooga loves to, as you see, blow the game. So, yeah, so who knows what we're going to see because Richmond has to go to Orlando midweek and then they have to fly back. And with Chattanooga not having necessarily anything to play for, they might play the younger guys looking to make an impression. They might play the guys that have a lot of energy and are looking to to make a difference. And if that's the case, Richmond cannot allow Chattanooga to score that first goal. And I don't care how many times Chattanooga has blown a lead and blown a game that way. Richmond is not a play from behind team. They need to score that goal and solidify their defense, get settled and, and see the game out that way. I, I can't imagine a, a game to where Chattanooga scores a goal, then Richmond has to score two more I, I can't see Richmond chasing those two goals um so we'll see I mean like we talk about effort this is going to be the the run until you can't run anymore game for, for Richmond it really has to be yeah uh 8 p.m forward Madison versus New England Revolution two again game that doesn't matter so here here's an interesting scenario Richmond kickers beat OCB they draw Chattanooga so then Union Omaha must still beat Fort Lauderdale at 8 p.m. in order to make it to the finals. A draw will not do it because Richmond will have that wins tiebreaker. So Union Omaha has to beat Fort Lauderdale then at home. So they, they are playing out in Omaha. Um, so uh, anyway, you know, Fort Lauderdale is a good team. I mean, yeah. we've seen that. Really. Never I mean, they're bringing the offense, right? It's just whether or not Omaha takes advantage of the defense. I think that um, – Omaha is the only team that has been physical this whole time. And because of that, I think it's made a difference. Even that Greenville game, right? Now, granted, there were two fouls on Greenville that I will say uh, one could that first one could have been a penalty. Uh, and so they, they got a little too physical. And I understand Greenville fans have, have a little bit of a gripe with that, and they should because that definitely could have been called as a penalty. It definitely was a foul. The second one, it was 50-50 to me with the shoulder, but that first one definitely was a foul. But I I appreciate that. And when you're playing Fort Lauderdale and if Sosa's there and Ascona and you have that midfield, you can't let them get going. You can't let them get those through balls to Ricky and down the side to Reyes. And so, yeah, I think uh, I think they have to keep that physicality up. Yeah, Fort Lauderdale likes to uh, likes to possess sometimes, and that could play right into Omaha's hands because Omaha does have that press in their back pocket, particularly when they're playing at home, where the field is a little bit smaller and narrower. They're not, you know, playing down. And and remember, it wasn't that long ago that Omaha went down to Fort Lauderdale, and so these teams are pretty familiar with each other. I think that was only what two weeks ago. I think. Um, and then the game that if if both Omaha and Richmond both lose out, a game that will probably matter, and that's North Texas versus South Georgia Tormenta at eight thirty Eastern time. Um, you know, this only matters if if both Richmond lose both of their games and Omaha um, loses their game against Fort Lauderdale. I mean, the way this season's going, who knows? <laughs> so, Jason, you have an unpopular opinion. I did so. Watching that Richmond game was really frustrating to me, and I had an unpopular opinion, but Omaha has has slowly turned the tide on me. And so the opinion was, I truly, I didn't think that there needed to be a championship game this year. I thought that the championship game 
wasn't fair to Greenville, who played consistent all year, right? Has easily been the most dominant team, deserves everything that they deserve what they got. And I felt that if a team came, let's say Richmond, for instance, right? If Richmond goes and they win their last two games and they play them and Richmond pulls the upset in the championship game, while it's great for, for Richmond, it's a great, it's not fair to me. It's not like you're going to punish Greenville who dominated all season for having one bad game. Like it's not fair. And the difference between this and the playoffs is even if you get into the playoffs as a six seed, you still have to beat two to three teams better than you to lift that trophy. Whereas this year you would only have to beat Greenville in one game. And it, it could be just a game where, you know, there's a dumb red card in the 10th minute or somebody gets injured or, you know, they just have a bad game. That's not fair. And it kind of waters down the great season that Greenville have where they probably do have the league MVP and the keeper of the year. And so, yeah, I just didn't think that there didn't need to be a championship because yeah. I think it diminishes the accomplishments of Greenville. Well, we've said it many times on this podcast and we, where we wish that there was a 14 playoff. I mean, just right. like last year. Right. So, I mean, just have, you know, a, a you know, semifinal weekend and a, and then the finals. Cause that, that makes it a little bit more interesting. Right. Cause then at this point you'd probably have either, you know, one of either North Texas, uh, North Texas kickers or Omaha in fourth place. Right. So let's just say most likely it would be North Texas. Um, so North Texas comes in fourth place, North Texas, Greenville, a rematch of the last year's finals. Yes. And that's, when it's, that's when you earn it. That's when you get to, but it's just, it just diminishes it because Greenville has done everything right. And then to, to punish them for one bad game in a championship and they don't get anything from it because there is no supporter shield or anything. Right. So it's just like, I, I, I it needs to be a supporter shield. Now, now I will say though, that was my unpopular opinion. Then I kind of looked into it in Omaha, the way they played Greenville, I think is slowly convincing me and let's see how they play this weekend, but they're slowly convincing me that they kind of deserve a shot of lifting it. Because when you look at the table, I believe that Omaha and Greenville have the same amount of losses and they're the only teams that have three losses in the league, right? And Omaha throughout the whole year, are, are you, you're looking like you're, you're yeah. about to correct me. No, no, no. I'm, I was okay. going to say that is okay. that is not quite correct because North Texas only has three losses as well. Okay, gotcha. They have a lot more draws though. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, so I'm looking right exactly. So, but but the yeah. So the thing, and then Union, their two, their three losses, they all kind of came close together, right? They just hit a bad streak and with injuries and with you know a lot of games. So I you know, you obviously take the losses, but I don't fault them. It's not as if they were losing consistently throughout the year or sporadically. So I kind of think the way if they end the season well, and you know, right now you look at their past, you know, they, they beat Greenville, they tie with Madison, they beat Tormenta, they beat Fort Lauderdale away. Their last, you know, the three losses that they had came against Chattanooga on the road, New England, who is playing like the best team in the league right now, and then Richmond. And so it's one of those things to where if they only lost to the top teams and it was all within a three-week span, like they had three losses in a row and now they've gotten it back together, they beat the champs. I mean, they well, they beat the the, the league champs, I guess, if we had a supporter shield. Um I, I don't know. They they might have they might be turning the tide in my decision about about the championship because I think if any team deserves to play Greenville for a championship, it would be them. 
Yeah, and obviously we're going to play eight games this season. That, that Well, really it's not eight. It's more like four are going <laughs> to matter. Four of the eight games are going to matter for uh, who is going to face Greenville, and it could be Omaha. I mean, Omaha is not quite in the driver's seat, but they're, you know, but they're trying to knock uh, knock Richmond out the door. They're kicking at them and from the passenger seat, right? It's a yeah. one of those classic car chase uh, scenes right now with between Omaha and uh, and Richmond. Jason, where can people follow you? We have one question this week before we oh, go. We question. Yes, oh, I got rid of that. Yes, it was it was sent in to us. Who should be more disappointed, Chattanooga or Richmond fans? Well, I think it's too early to too early to tell at the moment because you know if, if Richmond makes the finals, then it's not Richmond. Okay. Um, you know, so I, I think as of right now, it has to be Chattanooga. Yeah, it has. Okay. To be. I didn't know if they meant for that previous week or they just meant in general for the year. Oh, oh, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, previous week, I well, both, but I, I think probably Richmond fans because you know Richmond, you know, Tormenta has not been consistent this year at all, and the fact that Richmond couldn't even get a draw out of that match is, I think, pretty disappointing. You know, Chattanooga, yeah, they got knocked out, but they were going to get knocked out anyway with Omaha winning. So it didn't really matter that much. Okay. You can find me at home sweet soccer. (laughs) I'm at Ira Jersey and you can connect with the show on Twitter at league one fun. That's league. The number one fun. Thank you for listening. Please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks to our sponsor, roughneck scarves, the official scarf supplier of USL MLS and us soccer. Get custom scarves, your group or team at roughneckscarves.com. And to Icarus FC, for all your custom kit needs for your youth, adult, and club teams, go to IcarusFC.com. Jason, until next week, hashtag support local soccer. Watch watch North Texas come back and make this a repeat championship. I'm going to laugh so hard. <laughs>